You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, take your Bibles. We'll go to Revelation uh, chapter number 3 tonight. If you will, we'll stand in honor of God's Word. Just going to read verses 1 through 5. Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 1, and the angel, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now that would speak, I think, of Jesus, who has all of the Spirit of God, who has, he is all God, right? All man, all God. But then he goes on and says this, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received, I'm sorry, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And I'll just read verse 6. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So I've titled the message tonight, Be Watchful and Strengthen. That's what Jesus tells them in verse number one. Now this this is the Lord speaking to a church that he he loved. He loves the church at Sardis. He loves Eastside Baptist Church. Hey, Hey, listen, he has the very best for you. If you allow him to have the very best in your life. So we're going to look at this. uh, Some of the things that I think that are very relevant for you and I today in the 21st century as as members of a local church. And I realize I'm not a member here. I'm a member of my church, Southwest Baptist Church in in, uh, Oklahoma City. But you're a member here. And you need to be watchful and to strengthen. Father, now help us tonight as we look at this passage. Lord, help me to be able to convey the truth that you've laid upon my heart tonight. And Lord, thank you for everything that you've given to us, for the Word of God that gives us guidance and direction, and the Holy Spirit of God that helps us, Lord, and teaches us the things that we need to know about God and and the local church that you've given us, that you love so much that you died for it. So I just pray that you'd help us tonight to tap into those resources that we have to help us, 
to be strengthened and to be watchful. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now Sardis would have been one of the seven churches, as I mentioned, that Jesus addresses here in chapters uh, 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. It would have been the capital uh, city of a province called Lydia, very wealthy city, very important center of industry. In fact, some of the reading that I did on it found that the uh, city of, of Sardis was the first century, in the first century was where gold and silver coins were minted there. So he is addressing this church at Sardis and he begins by proclaiming his deity. We read that in the beginning. I'm not going to go back and rehearse that again. But, but then he tells them some things here that I, that I think are important. I want you to notice in verse number one, he says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. I think that's a very telling accusation against the church. Here they were, they were living, but they were dead. There was a facade that was there. They, they had a name for God, but there was no life that was there. They had, listen, they had physical diligence, but they had a spiritual lifelessness. So Jesus' counsel to them was to be watchful. Now that just simply means this, wake up. You need to be awake. And then he tells them to strengthen yourself, which means to be steadfast, to be reestablished because you have this name, but you're not, you're not alive. There's, some, there's death that is, that is there. Now, and so I, I, I think that if we could picture in our mind for a moment some things that, that brought about this... this um, lifelessness in the church, we might be able to kind of think about this, that perhaps the leaders of the church at Sardis, and we're not told who they were, but perhaps they had failed in their leadership. Though, though it's not stated here, I think it would be not too hard for us to figure out that, that this may be what is happening in the church because, again, they had a reputation. They were vibrant. This reputation of being vibrant and being alive, but they were dead. I, I, I can remember, and I go back into the mid-70s when I was in, graduated from Bible college, and, and there were some great stalwart churches of fundamentalism back in those days. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about churches like Temple Baptist in Detroit, Michigan, and Blue Ridge Baptist Temple, and others that I can remember in those days when those pastors would come, even the church that we attended when I was in Bible college, High Street Baptist Church there in Springfield, and they were, they were foundational churches that were uh, involved in reaching people and missions and all of those things, but they don't exist today. And it, somewhere along the line, Leadership determined that this is not the direction that we want our church to be going. Yeah. And perhaps that's what happened in the church of Sardis. Maybe they began to see the surrounding culture around them and no longer saw the world of sin around them as their enemy. I, I, I'm reading a book right now titled We Will Not Be Silenced by Edwin Lutzer and he, 
And he gives this story and this illustration. He said his wife and he had an opportunity to tour the site of those seven churches that Jesus addresses here in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And when they toured the ancient site of Sardis, that Sardis church, they discovered that next to the ruins of the church building were ruins of a pagan temple. And, and, and this man stated, he said, that even though these buildings were two to three centuries after New Testament times, the state of being in close proximity to each other was a commentary on the history of the church. And he goes on and says this, Perhaps some of the members of the church at Sardis worshipped in both temples. Maybe they might even have justified it this way by saying, I can be a witness to those in the pagan temple by visiting there and trying to win them to the Savior. That reminds me of my oldest sister, Denise, who passed away in 2014. When I was in Bible college, she started dating a guy and and uh, everyone of our family and those that were in her church, they told her not to, not to marry him, but she was determined. And I will never forget this time she told me. She said, we told her not to marry him. He was a drunk and he, and he was abusive and he will pull you down. Those are the words that I remember us saying to her. And, and I remember looking me in the eye and saying, no, I'm going to marry him and I'm going to get him saved. Guess what? She didn't, and he didn't. In fact, she had to leave him because he would get drunk and come home and beat her. Now, my sister was, uh, well, she wasn't, she didn't cut any punches. In fact, one night he came home drunk, beat her. She rolled him up in the bed sheets and took a baseball bat and just began to beat him around the body. And not in the head, had her bags packed and walked out on him. You know, but the idea was this. I'm, I'm going to marry him and I'll win him to Christ. And, and it could be, and I, again, all this is speculation, but it, it could be that maybe the church at Sardis was like my, my sister. Maybe they, they lowered their standards. They began to, to mingle with these pagan people and, and maybe they had this influence on them. Now, thankfully, if you read this passage in verse number four, Jesus does say that not everyone had given in to that, that temptation of a sensual culture, that there were still those that were there who hadn't defiled their garments and who hadn't defiled their, their testimony. Now, now listen, I, I'm, I don't want to be negative here tonight. Please don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I try to be a very positive guy and, now listen, I'm so positive I'm a bald-headed guy, in case you didn't know that. Now my son, you know, they say you inherit your hair traits from your mother, and so I don't think either one of my boys will be bald like me. But listen, I'm such an optimist that I can go into CVS and ask for some hair restorer and say, by the way, give me a dozen combs too. Now that's optimism, Amen. So I, I'm, I'm not trying to paint a pessimistic picture here tonight. But I think, listen, in, in, in the 21st century, you and I, as Bible-believing Christians who, who adhere to the doctrines 
of the word of God and, 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 are, and are not ashamed to stand up and, and proclaim the name of Christ, I, I think we are facing a tsunami of progressive ideas and beliefs that hold to the idea that conservative Christianity, is that a good term to use? Is toxic and filled with racial injustice, sexism, Islamic Islamophobia, and shaming judgmentalism. And I, I think that's how the world sees us in some ways. And, and, and I think a lot of that is self-inflicted. Now the goal of the progressive movement today, I think, is to purge Christianity of all of those harmful attitudes. And because of that, and, and, and this is not a new thing. And again, I, I mentioned the churches back in the, in the early 70s and 60s that were such staunch fundamental churches. That's not a new thing. But it seems to me, in my limited experience in ministry, it seems to me that that we're being overwhelmed by this flood of, of progressive ideas and mentality. Now, again, in, in that book that I have, the author says this, we have surrendered ground to the culture under progress. The pressures to compromise and redefine the gospel might well prove to undermine the faith that once was delivered unto the saints, Jude in verse 3. And again, he says this, as contemporary culture grows more and more intolerant of historic Christianity, the church is lured into accommodation and ends up being absorbed by the world and the lamp flickers and then goes out. Now, I, I don't mean to, to even pretend to know what Jesus would say to us if he were here today in the 21st century. Well, well actually, he does say to us some things from God's word. So what, what do you think he would tell us? As, and again, I, I understand, I'm not a member here, but so I'm, I'm preaching to you tonight, okay? Can I do that? Would you allow me to do that? Well, what would he say to you as members of Eastside Baptist Church in the 21st century? Are you relevant or not? Are, are, you, are you someone that tonight that can stand up and say that I, I, I won't compromise? So if he were here tonight, do you, what do you think he would tell us? Can I, can I give you some things, some, again, speculation on my part, I understand that. But can I give you some things tonight that I think that Jesus would tell you as Eastside Baptist Church that maybe you, you need to hear? Can I, can I give you those? Number one, I think this. You need to be resolved. And, I, and I, okay, I'll say it this way. I need to be resolved as a, as a member at Southwest Baptist Church. But because my church is not here, you are. This is to you, okay? <laughs> you need to be resolved, number one, to be a gospel-driven church. You know, we, we have commands. You just finished your, your missions revival. You know, my son, he, I, I get updates from him, how things are going. And, you know, amazing, amazing faith promise what God 
has done. Uh, just an amazing thing. I'm so excited for you. You know, well, why do people give to missions? Well, because there's great commission. Right? They, hey, listen, there are still people out there who need what you have. So I think that if Jesus were here today, just as he told the church at Sardis, he would tell you, you need to, listen, you need to be gospel driven, resolve to be gospel driven in your witness. Now, he, he gives us a pattern here, right here in Revelation chapter 3, to help us to be gospel driven. Number one, he, notice this in verse 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. That are what? Ready to die. You know what he's telling us? There needs to be revival. Revival, right? So if you got something that's about to die, you have to revive it, right? So Jesus is telling them, here's what you need. You need to have a revival take place. And the church there at Sardis needed to revive those things that they were letting go asleep. They needed to rekindle the flame. They needed to, to stir it up again. I was looking forward to coming up here uh, to, to Sioux Falls because my son's got a pellet stove in the basement. I was looking forward to getting up in the middle of the night and going and laying in front of that pellet stove and the stinking thing isn't even working. You can't even kindle the flame in it. It's not working. So Jesus says, hey, you're about to let the flame go out. And, and, but now again, there were a few that were there that weren't completely dead. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. That, uh, but those things were beginning to fade and be gone. So here's what he's challenging them to do. Stir up the flame. Revive it. You're, you're letting the flame go out. Revive it. So, so he tells them, number one, you need a revival. Number two, he tells them in verse three, look at this. Remember. You know what we need to do? We need to remember. Re remember where you were when God found you. Remember what you were when God found you. Now I got saved when I was nine years old. You know, there's not a lot of really wicked things that a nine-year-old could get into other than picking on his sisters who were wicked. And, but, but, but anyway, you know, so I got saved. But some of you got saved as an adult and you know what your life was like. And you can remember what it was like. Don't forget that. Don't let that flame die. You remember what it was when you first got married? My wife and I have been married now for 48 years. 48 years. We got married when we were 12, but 48 years. I remember what, I, what it's like in those early days. You know, I'd go out there and I'd open the car door for her. Now, in those days, we had our first car. It was her car, actually. That's the reason I married her. She had a 63 Ford Galaxy, baby blue, 351. Man, that thing was sweet, you know. And it had a bench seat. You know, she, I'd open the door for her. She'd get in and slide all the way over. And I'd put my arm around her driving down the street. You know, then we got a car with bucket seats. She'd go out there and get, stand by the door and I'd look at her and think, is your arm broke or what? <laughs> you 
You know, things change over the years when you've been married that long. <laughs> we, we were at a pizza place one time, came outside, and we went around there and opened the door, and this uh, African lady came out, and this African-American lady came out and said, man, you don't see that very often. I'm thinking, yep. I got that one one, you know. <laughs> but you remember what it was like when you got married? There was joy. There was excitement. There was a sense of gratitude that you never had before. You know what? What happened to that? In marriage, we begin to take each other for granted, don't we? You know, I said, yeah, okay, I just get home, I expect her. You know, throw my pants on the, hang them on the doorknob. That's what I thought doorknobs were made for, you know, to hang your britches on when you come home at night. You know, we, we do though, don't we, huh? We just kind of take each other for granted. And, and I think that's the way we can be with Jesus too. We forget. We forget what he's done for us. So he tells them, hey, you, you, you need to have some remembrance. You need to have some revival need to have some remembrance. Look at this one, verse 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast. And what's the next word? And what? Repent. He's giving them, He's listen, he's giving you as Eastside Baptist Church a formula to rekindle the flame. Revival and remembrance and repentance. Turn away. That's what that word means. It's a change of mind and and disposition towards sin. Genuine repentance feels remorse. Why? Because we recognize that our sin is against God. So he tells them, repent, remember. <laughs> Revive. Okay, I forgot the other one. Then the last one is this, resolve. And that is found in verse 3. Look at the last part of verse 3. Repent, if thou therefore shalt not watch, I will come to thee as a thief, and thou shalt know, uh, not know what hour I will come upon thee. But the words that he uses to resolve is this, hold fast, hold fast. Words telling them, listen, if you fail to watch, if you fail to hold fast, I will remove that which remains as a thief comes into your house middle of the night. What, do we, what does that mean? Well, here, here's what I think he's, he would be telling us. We need to return back to our biblical roots and, and, and not worry about the direction that other churches are going to. You know, our heart's desire should be for those who are going to help to come. Yeah, listen, we ought to be involved in helping people. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just saying this, that our desire should be to help people that need a saving knowledge of a loving, lo uh, lovely, loving Savior. Why? Acts 4.12 says that there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we need to be resolved, number one, to be a gospel-driven church. Number two, we need to be resolved that we won't bow to the culture skew, skewed view of morality. Look at verse 4. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Alright, so, so in the midst of a church that was dead and 
declining to nothingness, there were those who had kept themselves from the corruption of the world. Jesus says there are a few names, meaning that even the church that was so declining, and I wrote this word down, so depraved, where religion, was, where religion had so much declined, where there was compromise, there were a few people who had kept themselves free from the contamination of the world. Jesus says this, their garments weren't defiled. Now, the word garment there would be a figurative, in a figurative sense, meaning that, indicating that they had kept themselves from the prevailing corruption of their, their culture. But it also has to do with this. They were neither guilty of physical or spiritual fornication. So here, here's what Jesus is telling them. Don't exchange purity for the fulfillment of our passion. Don't exchange purity for the fulfillment of our passion. We, we have all kinds of verses. I got verses that I put down and where Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Sanctify them through thy truth. And the word sanctify there means to set them apart. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John chapter 17, verse 17. Here's how Paul puts it. 2 Timothy 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. We're talking about a generation of Christians who want to have, like the dog, have their ears scratched. You ever, see, you ever done that? Scratch a dog behind their ear. And they're... That, that's, that's, what, that's what Paul says is happening. Now, we understand what Paul wrote that. It's several centuries ago but we are there are we not are we not seeing these people that are leaving independent baptist churches that are solid to the truth and going off to some life church or whatever it is some some of the names of the churches that i see in our city just amazing to me guts church there's a church in tulsa called the guts church g-u-t-s guts church we're seeing people by the droves leave and go into those churches. Now, I think a lot of that may be some of our fault, but yet at the same time, I think we're just seeing the, the last days. We're, we're in those last days. So what I'm saying is this. We cannot abandon biblical teaching because of personal or cultural pressures. At, at, at the same time, Holding firm to biblical truth doesn't excuse us from loving people whose lives are broken by their sin. Let, let, let me give you these illustrations. And I, and I know you know this. It's not anything new. John chapter 8, a woman was brought to Jesus who had been caught in the very act of adultery. Now there's a lot of things in that passage that just kind of baffle me. Because the last time I heard, it takes two to be involved in adultery. So where's the guy? You know, have you ever thought about that? Maybe he's one of them. I don't know this. And they accuse her and say, well, Moses said she ought to be stoned, but what do you say? And he nailed down and he began to 
Write in the dirt. Wouldn't you love to have been there see what he's writing? And he began to write in the dirt. And they were convicted from the young, oldest down to the youngest. And then it's just he and the woman standing there. And he looks at her and says, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And her response was, No man. And his response was, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, I, I want us to understand this. Jesus wasn't lowering the standards nor, nor rewriting, rewriting the rules to raise up her self-esteem. Instead, here's what he was doing. You, you got to see this. He's offering grace in the face of self-righteous hypocrites that condemned her. He offered her forgiveness and acceptance. Listen, not of her sin, but that she might live her life differently. So here's what I'm talking about. We're talking about a transformation of a lifestyle based on a transformation of the heart. So even though, listen, I heard somebody say this years ago. Did you know that you can still be an independent, fundamental Baptist and still love people? You say, well, yeah. I thought, I've already, I thought that's the truth. But I've, I've been in some churches and I've been around some people that I, I've, I was a pastor for 20 years and I remember saying things from behind the pulpit that I regret even today that I said. Things like, well, I'm the pastor. If you don't like it, there's the door. And you say, you really said something like that? Yes. I was dumber than a bucket of rocks. Still hadn't gotten above the bucket yet, but and people left. They found the door and they never came back. All I'm saying is this, you know, we're the further and further our society goes, and I appreciate what Brother Ruckman said today, the people with all the piercings and the tattoos, those are people that we need to reach. They, they may not be dressed in a suit. They may come to church and they've never, they've never been into a church before. There are people out there that are like that. Not everybody has the privilege that you and I have to be in a good church. And the further and further along our society goes, the more and more those type of people we're going to need to be ministering to. People that are broken. People who have made some bad choices in their life. People that have drug and alcohol problems in their life. So what, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you know, listen, you can stay by the stuff, but yet at the same time, we need to love people. But then the third thing that I think he would tell us is this. Be resolved, number three, to love Christ and suffer well for his name. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but I, I, I do know this, and I think that we're going to see this in our nation. Just since this COVID thing, now there's this new variant of COVID coming out. I, I don't know what I think about that yet. Omnicom, or some, I can't remember what it is, but some variant that's... Get over it. Amen. It's going to be around. The flu is around every year. And there's a new strain of flu that comes out every year. But not everybody's going... <laughs> yeah. 
I, and listen, I'm not downplaying it. I understand that. I'm not downplaying it. I mean, there have been people, you're, you're, you have had family that have been affected by it. I'm not downplaying it. I'm just saying this. We can't let our, our lives be bound by fear. We, we can't let it be bound by fear. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a what? Sound mind. Well, I, you know, Zig Ziglar, how many of you have ever heard of him? He was this motivational speaker who said, you know what I think we need to do? We need to quit our stinking thinking and get a checkup from the neck up. Maybe it's time for Christians to stop their stinking thinking. Maybe it's time for us to be resolved to say, you know what, no matter what happens in my world, in this world around me, I'm, I'm just going to love Christ. I, I'm just going to love him. Now, look at verse 5. He says this. He, look at verse 5, he that overcometh. <laughs> he that overcometh. You know what that gives me? That gives me hope right there. I, I think Jesus is telling us, hey, listen, you can overcome this. You don't have to let the flame go out because he says there is a remnant that's left there's a small remnant that's left in the church and listen there's always going to be a remnant even as there was in Sardis but we know there's obstacles you know what I think I, I think this I think we are weak because our love for Christ is weak because here's what's happened we have valued worldly values and pursuits more than our love for God I mean, we're warned about the dangers of loving the world. 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, right? All of those things. I, I found this article written by a guy by the name of Dalton Roberts. Listen to this. And it's titled, The Church Boy Who Never Grew Up. He said, nobody trusts him to stand on God's word alone and to suffer for a conviction. He has no stomach to fight for Christ because his loyalty is not to Christ, it is to himself. He will stand for truth occasionally, but only when he decides the cost is not too great. Convictions that would cost him are too much for his lust, for man's approval to endure. And he goes on and says, what has happened is that he's developed a false love for the world. So we need to develop a deep love for Christ. If, it, if we're going to resolve to not let the flame go out, we've got to resolve. We can't make the mistakes that Sardis did. We can't let the cultural pressures of an intolerant secular world control us. Can we win them over? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? If I didn't think that your church and my church, I, I work at a Bible college. We, we are in the, we're in the ministry to train young people to serve the Lord. Whatever capacity God has for them. You know, if, if, if I didn't believe that you and I could still reach people, then what we're doing tonight is a waste of time. Yeah. Waste of time. But I think we can still do it. Is the, is the journey going to be hard? Absolutely. 
The day may come. The day may come when you stand behind a pulpit and preach against some of the social issues of our society today. You may go to jail for it. It's already beginning to happen in our world. It's going to be filled with trials, temptations, distractions, distortions, but the journey is worth it. So what did Jesus tell the church at Sardis? He tells them, listen, you, you, you need to be resolved to carry the gospel banner. You need to be resolved to carry the gospel banner. You, you, you need to be resolved that when you walk into Walmart, you can reach into your pocket and pull out a track and give it to the person. You don't have to have skill to do that. You don't even have to know the Romans road to give somebody a track, do you? You don't have to be. You, don't, you, you, you can be like Moses. Say, Lord, I can't talk. Right? Anybody give a track? These young men down here, y'all give a track. This is not one of your churches, but I'll invite you to Southwest. You guys can do this, can't you? Can you do it? Rattle, rattle. Absolutely you can. You folks can do this. So we need to be resolved to be gospel driven. We need to be resolved, number two, listen, to not be defiled by the culture that's around us. Just, just, I'm not trying to quote a famous, uh, you know, drug thing, but just say no to the culture that's around us. Don't, don't let it invade your home. Don't let, it, don't let it take control of your lives. Be resolved to not be defiled by the culture around us. And then number three, be resolved to love the Savior above all other things in your life. Amen. You remember the man that came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said the greatest commandment is to what? Love God. And the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if we get the order right, you, do you understand what Jesus is saying? Here's the order. You love here first. And if you love here the way you're supposed to, you're going to love here the way you're going to supposed to. So let's be resolved. Let's be watchful. Let's strengthen. Now, I, I told my son I was preaching tonight, and, and not, not that there's a smell of death at Eastside Baptist Church. In fact, I, I see just the opposite of that. But we can get so smug in what we're doing that we forget what we're supposed to be doing. Does that make sense? So let's be resolved. Let's be resolved to be watchful and to strengthen that which remains. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you tonight for the formula that you gave us here in the face of the church at Sardis. As, as I read that illustration or the, the thought that, that the, the author had when he visited the ruins of the church at Sardis, the thing that struck me the most was, the, was that word ruins. Ruins. There, there are hundreds of good churches when you drive by them today, they are a shell of what they used to be. Many of them don't even exist anymore. God, help us to be resolved. Help Eastside Baptist Church to be resolved 
to not let the flame go out. To be watchful. To strengthen that which remains. Because just like that, it could be gone. The flame could be out. And Lord, if there be one here tonight that's seeking some peace and contentment in their heart, they're not saved, they don't know anything about what we're talking about here tonight, God, help them to know that Jesus loved them enough to pay the price for their sin. And that they could come and receive Him, receive him as their Savior and be a part of a church like Eastside Baptist Church that loves people, that has as its mission to reach people around the world. We, we, we saw elements of that even tonight in the testimonies and the preaching this morning. God, help us to, to be resolved, to be watchful, to strengthen those things that remain. So speak to hearts tonight, move upon our, our hearts, and Lord, help us to be faithful to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.